you have your Bibles, open again to John chapter 3. Last week we talked about what it meant to be born again, that Nicodemus did not understand it, and what uh, he needed was for God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to blow through his life like wind and rearrange the affections of his heart. Today we go back to that passage, but we look at a different, uh, we focus on a different part of that. We focus on John 3.14. It's after he has talked to Nicodemus and he's making some additional statements. Let me read them for you. John 3.14 through 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. This is God's word to God's people. Let's pray. May the same Holy Spirit that inspired John to write this illuminate our minds that we might understand it, uh, free our wills that we might obey it, and we might live for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You probably, if you have studied church history and figures of history very much, you probably know about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had a great ministry. He was an evangelist. He was located for a great deal of time in Chicago. On a trip overseas, he ran into a guy by the name of Dr. Morehouse, who was a, also an evangelist. And Dr. Morehouse said, I'm going to be coming to America. And out of just, you know, just being generous, Moody said, if you're ever in Chicago, I'd like for you to preach for us. Well, not too long thereafter, he got a telegram and said, I'm in New York, I'll be in town in Chicago next week, and I'll be able to preach. Well, D.L. Moody didn't know what to do, he'd never heard him preach. So he called his uh, elders together, and his wife was there, and he said, you know, I asked this guy to preach, Dr. Morehouse, you know, put him on one time, and if he's really good, let him do another night, if not, just let him do one. And so he left and went out of town to do a... Uh, evangelistic service, and he came back after a week, and he asked his wife, he said, how did uh, Dr. Morehouse do? And uh, she said, he's a better preacher than you are. Uh, That didn't go over well, but anyway, she said, he's been teaching that God loves sinners, and D.L. Moody said, that's not right. And she said, well, come hear him tonight. And she said, he's still preaching? She said, yeah, he's been preaching every week on John 3.16. That's all he's been preaching about. So Moody said he went, and he said that was for the first time in his life that he really understood and saw clearly that God did love the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. 
probably the most popular verse in the world. Even unbelievers will tell you they can't quote it all, but they'll know God is love. And we've seen it at football games. A guy with a rainbow, you know, hair stands up with John 3.16 and he's at golf tournaments and he's behind the basketball goal at, at NBA games or used to be. Everybody knows that. But do you know the context of that? And that's what we're going to look at today. The context is God so loved the world that Jesus was lifted up, but the world hated light and so they didn't believe. Just three little hooks. God so loved the world. God is love, but that love is a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that's eternal, a love that's unchanging, a love that's unconditional, a love that's gracious, a love that's generous, a love that's irresistible, a love that's uh, indescribable. And it says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. And I want to pause because a lot of people make the mistake of reading the Bible and coming to the New Testament and think they're dealing with a different God than the God of the Old Testament. I've heard people real close to me say, you know, the God of the Old Testament was a God of, of law and legalism and sacrifice and wrath and justice and holiness. He was a, he was a God that was unattractive and unapproachable. And Jesus came and redeemed that God and he, he redeemed his reputation and he expressed a different side of God. That could not be further from the truth that it says that God, the Father, so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It was the Father who gave the Son. The Father that people think of as, as that Old Testament God. He gave His Son out of love. And that love was an eternal love. We have talked often in here about the, the eternal covenant or the everlasting covenant, the covenant of redemption. The covenant made before the world began that God the Father decided that He would have a people. And God the Son agreed to come and redeem the people. And God the Holy Spirit agreed to come and apply the redemption of His people to their hearts. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had an everlasting love that was aimed towards His people. And the Old Testament was but a shadow and a prefiguring of that. It wasn't a different God. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So how do you know that God loves you? How does God love me? How do I know that? Well, you go back to that Old Testament. And you go back to Genesis 22. And you go back to when Abraham finally had a son. He had a son, Isaac. He had waited 25 years for that son to be born. That son of a promise. And probably had waited 12 more years or more before he heard the words of God say, Take your son, your only son, the one that you love, and take him up on the mountain that I'll show you and sacrifice him there. And Abraham got up at great early in the morning. And some say he got up because he was eager to be obedient. I think he got up because he never slept. He was worried about, I'm taking my son up on a mountain and I'm going to have to sacrifice him. He gets up on the mountain. His son says to him, Isaac says, Father, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide. 
He tied his son up and put him on the altar and was about to plunge the knife into him. And God says, don't. Now I know that you fear me. And God provided a ram and they sacrificed the ram. And God said, on this very mountain, I'll provide a sacrifice. And on that mountain outside of Jerusalem, we call Golgotha, God provided a sacrifice. And just like he could tell Abraham, now that I know that I, you love me and fear me, we can say to God because of the cross, now I know that you love me, you, you love me because you have given me your only son. And that's what the gospel's about. The love of God that gave his son for us. Romans 5 says, God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And gave his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John chapter 3. We know that. But God loves the world. Many people have struggled with what that means. It doesn't mean that God saved the world. It doesn't mean universalism. But when you look at the world in the context of John, the world is all that's opposed to God. All that hates light, all that unbelief, all that's wickedness, all that's bad. And when you look at Matthew, the world is the people groups and go into all the world and preach the gospel. The world is those people from every tribe and tongue and nation that don't know God. That the gospel is to go out to them that God has sent His Son into the world. If you believe on Him, you'll be saved. This was shocking news to Israel. God loves the world. He loves the Jews. He loves Israel. He loves us. John is reminding him, no, he loves the world. And he loves the world so much that he says, whosoever would believe in me should not perish. Whosoever. We can offer the gospel universally. You can tell anybody, John 3.16, God so loved the world, but you know that only if the Holy Spirit blows into their heart will they believe. But you can with all kind of confidence say, God loved the world. And if you would believe, God will save you as well. We're free to do that. I love quoting Spurgeon. Baptist quote Spurgeon because of his Baptist affiliation. Presbyterian quote Spurgeon because he was reformed. And Spurgeon, when he talked about the free offer of the gospel, he talked about the whosoever. And he says, that's a word we can all crawl up in. Don't you like that you can crawl up in there and find shelter? And so as we receive these communicant members today, the question is, you know, they're young, do they believe? The question is, have you believed? Do you believe in the love of God? Offered to you in Christ Jesus. The second thing is that Christ is lifted up. He's lifted up like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. If you grew up going to Sunday school, and I hope you did, you will know the story that that refers to in Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4. 
that the people of God were out of Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. They had fed, uh, they had been eating manna and even quail. They had gotten water from the rock. They had had the, the pillar of fire guide them and the cloud guide them. And they got to the place where they started grumbling. The NIV says they started talking against God. And they started talking against Moses, grumbling. You brought us out here and all we eat is the same old thing, you know, manna, 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 manna. You know, you open up the cookbook and there's only one thing in there, manna, you know. And you, you sent us out here just to die and we'd rather be back in Egypt. And God sent fiery serpents among them and the fiery serpents bit these grumbling, complaining people against the grace of God and they died. The ones living came back to Moses and said, We have sinned. We've realized we've done wrong. And we'd like for God to forgive us. And they said, Okay, here's what you do. Moses goes to God and God said, Here's what you do. You take a bronze serpent and you put it up on a pole in the center of the camp and you hold it up and everybody that looks to it will live. Just look at it and live. Can you imagine? Wait a second. Look at a bronze serpent and I'll be, well, <laughs> I'm not doing that. That's not going to do anything. I bet people died thinking that. Donald Grain Barnhouse preached, he says, let me remind you what God didn't do. He didn't say organize an army and kill the serpents. Don't you think that what we would do? He says he didn't organize the SEFS, serpents, no, society to eliminate fiery serpents. And you know you could all wear the same uniform and we could have we could have captains and and sergeants and private and we could have little cards that we give and we could have, you know, marching off to war sign and we could Kill all the serpents. He didn't do that. He didn't say, okay, I want you to make this medicine up. I want you to take some manna and I want you to take some cactus and I want you to take some tumbleweed and I want you to take some water from the rock and I want you to smash it up and then, you know, drink it at, at, uh, as the sun goes down and you'll be made well. People would love to do that, to have a part that, hey, this potion, you know, works. I drank this potion, you didn't. I made this potion. Just look and live. He didn't say, learn from this and be more careful. Watch out for snakes. You know? Watch out for snakes. I tell you, you know, they're more scared of you than, you know, you could hear them just, you know, snakes everywhere. Don't touch them, you know. Don't stick them with a stick, you know. Don't try to catch them by the tail. Be careful. He didn't give them a prayer. He didn't say, okay, here's a prayer. You say this prayer, believe it with all your heart, and you'll be well. He'll come to the tent. The buses will wait. Say a little prayer. It's all over. He didn't say give a gift. Give a monetary gift and you can buy your way out of this situation like they taught in the Reformation that they could buy their relatives out of purgatory. You see... Moses wasn't told to do any of that. He said, put a snake up on a pole, and if they look up there, they'll live. It's faith. We're saved by grace through faith. It's faith. They believe the Word of God. 
God said, look, and they lived, and they looked, and they lived. They could not attribute it to themselves that they were smarter or better or did something, gave something, said something. They just looked. They just looked, and they lived. And our passage says, just as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up. And whosoever believes, whosoever looks at Him believingly, will not perish, but have everlasting life. The cross is the cure. The cure not for a snake bite, but for the snake bite of sin, its eternal death. And all we have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. You and your household. Is what the Philippian jailer heard. Spurgeon, interesting fella. He was not a Christian and knew he wasn't a Christian, was searching for God. God had begun to work in his life. And he was a young teenager and he went to church on a snowy day. You've heard this before. And he got to this Reformed Methodist. I don't know what a Reformed Methodist is. You know, uh, we know what Reformed Baptists are and Reformed Pre But anyway, he went to this Reformed Methodist church. Because it was so snowing that that was the closest church near him. He didn't know what they believed. He didn't know who the preacher was. And he got in there and it was so snowy that the preacher wasn't able to come that day. He was snowed out. And it was just a handful of people there. And so one of the elders had to preach. And I'm just going to use Spurgeon's words. He was really not an educated man. He was really pretty stupid. He used that word. I think he didn't mean it the way we would take it. And the guy only said, read one verse and exhorted from that one verse. And the verse is out of Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And here's what Spurgeon wrote. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimmer of hope in that text for me. The preacher began thus saying, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now, looking don't take a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You might be the biggest fool in it. You can still look. A man needn't make a thousand dollars a year to look. Anybody can look. Even a child can look. Look to Jesus and you will live. And he pointed to Spurgeon and said, Young man, look to Jesus and you'll live. And Spurgeon said through that uneducated elder exhorting him to look at Christ, he was aware that God had indeed saved him. He was born again. Well, why don't people look then? Why don't people look? Because the world hates the light. The world hates the light. There are many reasons you can say, you know, uh, I know after I look, I'll have to do certain things or give certain things or give up certain things. But the real reason that people don't believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is they hate the light. Jesus is the light that's coming to the world. And men love darkness instead of light. Eight times in John, it uses the word hate. And it uses it several times in this one verse. Talking about this is a verdict 
They hated the light because their deeds were evil. And people do evil in the darkness. In the Bible, sin and darkness and night all go together. It's the opposite of Christ and light and holiness and purity. And people don't believe in Christ because they hate the light. Their deeds are evil and they will be exposed. You follow Jesus through the New Testament and He exposed people. He exposed the rich young ruler who thought he had done everything. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. He exposed that his love was for money. His idolatry was his bank account. He told the woman at the well, go and go and call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. The man you live with isn't your husband. He, he exposed her immorality. Lazarus was laying at the rich man's gate and he stepped over. He was, the rich man stepped over Lazarus every day and wouldn't give him a crumb. He exposed his lack of love and concern for his brother. The Pharisees' legalism was exposed. The Pharisees' pride was exposed. Demons were exposed. What do you have to do with us, Jesus? But you see, that exposure is like an x-ray. It makes us realize that we need a doctor. We need saving. And the reason they hate the light is because they've not been born again. The Spirit's not blown through their life. It hadn't done what Augustine called rearrange their affections. That's what we need. We need to have our affections rearranged as we come to the table today. You know, the we talked in communicants class about this. What, what do you do while you're holding the bread? What do you do while you're holding the cup? While you're holding the bread, remember that Christ was lifted up. He was lifted up on the cross. He was nailed to the cross. He was crowned with thorns. He was had a spear driven into His side. And His body was broken for you and died for you. The hymn says it so well. He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite in His grace. He emptied Himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free. Oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? And you hold that bread and you realize that He took all the punishment, all the pain. He endured your hell on the cross so that you might go to heaven. And then you hold that cup and you realize His blood was poured out because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And that cup is a cup of grace that refreshes you, refreshes you, strengthens you of Christ's love for you and His mercy for you. And dedicate yourself anew to serve Him all your days. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage. Thank You that Christ Jesus was lifted up that He died, that we might not die and perish, but we might have everlasting life. And if people have not uh, believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, may You blow in their hearts even now, blow in faith and repentance, and make them to turn from their sin and turn to their Savior. Even in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.